Welcome to It's Who You Know, the podcast, bridging the gap between Jewish leaders and those who follow them. Gain insight from Jewish professionals who make the decisions that influence your Jewish world. Welcome to It's Who You Know, the podcast. This is your host, Michelle W. Malkin. My guest today is Avital Ingber, who is the president and CEO of the Jewish Federation of Greater Houston. Prior to assuming this role, she spent close to 13 years building community and enhancing Jewish life in Greater Washington and is a nationally recognized change agent in the Federation system and beyond. She has helped to shape Jewish identities for thousands, from teens to seniors, as they further ignite their passions for Jewish community locally in Israel and around the world. Avital was a part of the senior management team of the Jewish Federation of Greater Washington, serving as both the Chief Development Officer and Managing Director of Federation's United Jewish Endowment Fund. There, she oversaw the strategic procurement of all philanthropic resources for the organization. Avital also served as the Managing Director of the Financial Resource Department and as the Director of Young Leadership. She is known for creating cutting-edge and nationally replicatable programs, partnerships, and engagement tools. I've asked Avital on the program today because when I think about major hubs of Jewish life in the U.S., the obvious ones come to mind. Los Angeles, New York, D.C., Chicago. I've been really interested in figuring out what are some of those other more lesser known areas in the U.S. where there are exciting Jewish communities that maybe many people don't know a lot about. This brought me to think of Houston, where I have many friends and family members, and I know that it's a very vibrant, growing, and eclectic city. I'm hoping Avital can shed some light on what has been happening in the Jewish community there. I'm very excited to speak with her. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Michelle. I am very happy to be here. And without even knowing it, you kind of stole the words right out of my mouth. I think that Houston and especially Houston's Jewish community is one of the best kept secrets in the Jewish world. And I just discovered that about a year ago. Awesome. Awesome. I would love to start how we always do, how you came to this wonderful community a year ago and about your experiences. I talked to you a little bit in Washington and maybe a little bit before that, how you got on this career path. I am thrilled to be talking with you today and sharing a little bit about how I got here to Houston, Texas and working in the Jewish community. But in order to understand that, I'm going to actually start back to before I was born. My paternal grandparents are Holocaust survivors and my maternal grandparents were extremely active in the Jewish community in Montreal. I was actually born and raised in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I'm really a product of the Jewish community. I was blessed to be able to go to Jewish day school, Jewish summer camp, was extremely active in BBYO. Some would say I grew up in the Jewish world, the daughter of a rabbi who served as a Hillel director and taught at Hebrew Union College. And even with all of that, I never intended to work in the Jewish community. I graduated high school and moved to Washington, D.C. to attend American University, where I majored in business. And all of my internships were in financial investment companies and with marketing and advertising firms. And so it really was not until I was two years out of college, living in Washington, D.C., starting my career, trying to build a life in a community where I didn't grow up. And the first thing I knew how to do was to connect to the Jewish community and reached out to Federation and some people. 
And I found it at that point in time, very hard as a young 20 something to be able to connect to Jewish community. It wasn't the way that it is today where young adults are the focal point of the Jewish community and there's so much investment in them. And so here I was working in business for two years and I realized that something in a part of me was missing. And I basically came to realize that that part of me was my connection to something larger than myself. And that for me had always been the Jewish community. And so fast forward, I ended up in a conversation with the Jewish Federation of Greater Washington, basically trying to advocate that there be an investment in young adults and that I'd be a part of it. I was not looking for a job. I was looking to volunteer. But three days later, I was offered a job. They created a position and I felt, okay, if I spend two years here building a community for myself, investing in young adults, building up a network. It'll be great. And I'll go back to business. But fast forward 13 years (laughs) and I was still at the Washington Federation until I got the call to apply for the CEO job in Houston. And I knew absolutely nothing about Houston. Kind of, as you said, it is one of the best kept secrets. And I didn't know that it was the fourth largest city in America. I didn't know that it had such a robust and vibrant Jewish community. And at first I actually wasn't interested in the role, but As I was convinced by a mentor to actually apply for the job, I came to fall in love with this very special community that is filled with warmth and openness and welcoming and to really come to learn what a vibrant city and a vibrant Jewish community exists. So thinking about those 13 years when you didn't even intend to stay for, you know, longer than two, what was it about the environment, the work, the people, the community, what was it that made you stay? What was that experience like for you that captivated you so for that many years? It's a great question. And I think what captivated me in Washington was the people. And it's the same thing that captivated me to prompt me to take on this role here in Houston. Washington you know, in the, I guess, 18 or so years that I spent living there in college and beyond really became my home. And the Washington Federation fostered a community where both my colleagues internally became my family and friends. And it's very interesting because I think back to one of the people that I interviewed with who has become a mentor of mine when I first interviewed at the Washington Federation. And during the interview process, she told me that if something happened to her in the middle of the night or she needed something, the people she would call would be her colleagues at the Washington Federation. Those were her family. And as a 23-year-old at the time, I thought it was really odd that someone was telling me this in an interview process. Right. And I obviously understand now what it means to work in a place where your moral compass aligns. It's your passion. The people become your family. The volunteers and lay leaders of the Washington community became my support network and my family. And I think that the biggest thing is that I've been privileged to find a career at a young age where I'm passionate about what I do. And I get to really see the impact that I'm making on people's lives and on the world. And I think so often we don't get to see the impact that we have on others. And I think that's really what kept me in this field and in this career, because I can bring together my love of Jewish community and Jewish identity and Judaism with my passion for inclusiveness and meeting all different types of people and be able to have my personal and professional passions align. So now that you're in a position, I don't want to see a 
power or authority or at the top or anything of that, but that really is what it is. This kind of culture that was created in that federation, was it just the people or was it something that was helped fostered by the leadership? Was it something that was fostered by the HR and talent development? Or was it just something that happened naturally that you just happened to fit into? I think that all cultures within organizations stem from people. There's this notion that culture eats strategy for breakfast. Right. Culture is created by the people, but it's not just the people at the top. And so I think that one of the unique things and great things about the culture in Washington that I love was the investment in professionals. I was blessed while I was there to be able to have the opportunity to go to grad school and to study business leadership at Georgetown University. I was privileged to be able to take a sabbatical and spend four months living in Israel and studying Israeli philanthropy. I attended countless conferences and professional development seminars. I had a coach. And so I think it's that fostering of a culture where, you know, there's an investment for people who are committed and who have longevity, who are committed to the excellence of the organization. And at the same time, I think there was a fostering a culture of innovation that you could come up with new ideas. You could try things, not being afraid to fail. And I've always viewed myself as entrepreneurial. I only later kind of learned that I'm actually an entrepreneur because I like the established institution, but I like to do different creative things within that institution. And so I hope that what I'm going to be able to bring here to Houston, and we've already started to do it, is some of this culture of the investment in the professionals, professional development opportunities, investing in our talent pool, and being an agent of change and innovation. But that can't, and I think what I saw in Washington, it can't come just from the CEO. It has to come from the entire organization. Yeah, I just love the story of a career in which somebody starts somewhere and is grown and fostered and moved through different positions and exciting roles and is able to grow their leadership within the Jewish community, not feeling like they have to leave the Jewish community or not feeling like there's better candidates that are coming from outside the Jewish community. An example of you can have a wonderful, you know, growing and fulfilling career, not even just right where you are, but, you know, kind of within our universe, which I think is fantastic. So let's shift focus a little bit onto your current work and the Houston community. So if you can give us a little bit of background as much as you know, of kind of some of the history of the community. I know it's a growing city. Yeah, as much as you can kind of give us some background on where the community's been. So the Houston Jewish community has a very rich and vibrant history. I think that many people outside of Texas or the South are not aware of how many Jewish immigrants came through the port of Galveston. So we often hear about people that came through in New York and came to Ellis Island, but we don't talk about the people that came to the port of Galveston, which is how we ended up with Jewish communities, you know, here in Texas and in all over the South. And so I came to learn that when I was here because I've met people that are four, five, and six generations living here in Texas. And so Houston, naturally, being so close to the port city, is one of the places where the Jews then migrated in terms of business. There was also a very severe and significant flood in Galveston, which forced a lot of people to leave, which is how they ended up here in Houston. And at the same time, Houston as a city has grown We often hear about the oil industry and its growth here, but really Houston has such a robust industry as a city. The second largest number of Fortune 500 companies to be located in a city is in Houston. The first is in New York. 
The second is Houston. And we don't talk about that. The largest medical center in the world is housed here in Houston. So there's a lot of industry. And so the city has grown. And then, you know, the Jewish community has flocked to it. And the Jewish community has grown as the city's grown. And I think the other piece that you see here in Houston, which is not new, is the way that the community works together. I've learned of a man of blessed memory named Rabbi Radinsky. And Rabbi Radinsky was a Orthodox rabbi that is the one who's really credited with bringing the community together. And the Reform, Conservative, and Orthodox parts of the community all work together. They're all part of understanding that they want to make Houston one of the best places to live a Jewish life and for it to be vibrant and open and welcoming. Wonderful. So bring us back, I guess, maybe a little over a year to when you first started this position and what that experience was like for you. So I accepted the position to be the CEO of the Houston Federation in June of 2017. As we've talked about, I was at the Washington Federation for 13 years. And because their investment in me and my investment in them, I wanted to ensure that there was a smooth transition. And I also wanted to ensure that coming to Houston, following Lee Wunsch, who was you know, my predecessor who was in this position for 18 years, that there was also a smooth transition here in Houston. And so we developed a very robust plan. We thought about the timing that made sense for the Washington Federation, the Houston Federation, and for myself. And we decided to have a four-month transition. And so I was not intending to start this new role until November of 2017, as Lee was going to be retiring. And I would spend those four months transitioning out of Washington and also learning from Lee and spending some time shadowing Lee here in Houston. But fast forward two months into the transition, we had a great 120-day plan. We had a transition team. We thought we were doing this right. And absolutely. And then this thing called Harvey came along. And just like Katrina changed New Orleans forever and the Chicago fire changed Chicago forever, Hurricane Harvey, you know, even though people hear about flooding happening over the last few years here in Houston, Harvey was different. And Harvey was the storm and it will forever change this city and will forever change our Jewish community. Because what I didn't understand until I was able to get on a plane and get down here and the airports were closed. So about 10 days after the storm, got on a plane and came down to the community and I'd never experienced flooding. I grew up in the Midwest and then was living in the Northeast and I experienced a lot of things, but never flooding in this way. I spent three days in every Jewish institution and home and seeing the damage and it looked like a war zone. There was nothing that could have prepared me for the trauma and seeing what people were going through. And at the same time, I instantly felt this was my new family and this is where I have to be. And this was part of who I am in my community. And I'll never forget that weekend when the storm was going to hit, I spent the time on the phone and texting and watching the news and talking to everybody. And I had people reaching out to me being like, oh my God, like your new home, what are you going to do? Are you not going to go? Like, you know, and it just never crossed my mind. Of course I was going to go. I didn't know why at the time there was some reason why I was being put here in this role, but I had to be there and be with my community. And one in 11 Jewish homes flooded. Meyerland, Bel Air, and the Braze Bayou area is the hub of the Jewish community. That's the majority of the area, a lot of the area where the storm hit. 
eight of our Jewish institutions were severely flooded and damaged. And I learned a lot about flooding and words that I never heard before, right. like <laughs> mitigation and, you know, yeah. different things in terms of mucking out homes and the floodplain levels. And so, you know, those are the things I had to learn. But what I knew was a system, and that's the federation system that steps up to help in times of emergencies that bands together when they need to. I called on that system and we are where we are today because communities from around the country and even the state of Israel who gave us a million dollar grant, I mean, everyone came together to help Houston. And it's been a long year. You know, we're at the one year mark. August 2017 is when Harvey hit. And we still have a long way to go. Unfortunately, we will probably be dealing with this for another three or four years our Jewish Family Service Agency is still working, you know, with families. People are going through trauma. People are having to make decisions about where do they spend their resources at, and they're paying mortgages and rents at the same time, and therefore, can they afford to send their kids to Jewish summer camp or Jewish day school or Jewish preschool? And so it's been a challenging year, and I've probably learned more in this last year than I have in any other period of time. Right. And it just like you mentioned Katrina, I don't know if it's ever going to not go away, but I think it's something that always kind of sticks with you and your community and is always, you know, something you're going to remember every year and have times really now kind of an ingrained part of the culture. One thing I would say is that with any, you know, you can't call any crisis be wasted. Mm-hmm. And so part of it for us is just also looking at not just how do we rebuild our community to back to where we were, which we had a really solid, great foundation, but how do we redesign and how do we create a Jewish community for 2030? And how can Houston be a model for communities across the country? These are challenges and issues like how do you face stay connected to Jewish life in 21st century in North America? We have to look at this now because Harvey put a microscope on it. And so, you know, hopefully we're making strides to really be able to look towards the future. And so while what I'm doing today is different than what I was initially hired to do, it also gives us an opportunity at a more rapid pace to really look at how we build for the future and how we create an even more robust and vibrant and growing and thriving Jewish community here in Houston. You've been listening to It's Who You Know, the podcast. I'm your host, Michelle W. Malkin. Before turning to my conversation with Tal, I'd like to take a moment to introduce you to the guest for our next podcast episode. Evan Bernstein is the New York, New Jersey Regional Director at the Anti-Defamation League, who discusses with me how his work has changed over the last few years with an increase in hate-related incidents around our nation and what his experience has been like over the last few years working at the organization. Here is a clip from our upcoming conversation. The positive I see is I do a lot of work with kids. We're in so many schools across the region that I talk with these kids and I know that they want moderation. They want to be in the middle. They're our future. And I know it sounds kind of cheesy and maybe a bit cliche that children are our future, but they really are. And I think that they are understanding the ills right now of society based on the conversations. And so many kids are stepping up right now in our public schools and they're leading and they're trying to become more moderate leaders and they want to get the other people talking, whether from the left and the right, doing it in a way without bias and having open conversations. So to me, those kids that right now are 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 
that are going to be the next you know, business leader CEOs, to me, they're going to be the ones that are going to change things. Be sure to listen to the rest of my conversation with Evan in our next episode of It's Who You Know. But for now, back to Abital. So walk us through some of the things that, from your view, especially coming from an outside community, that might be unique or particularly successful or some things that are happening in the Jewish community right now, kind of outside of the Harvey recovery efforts that are particularly exciting that you've seen since you've been there. I'm going to start with the way that the community works. The Houston Jewish community is, you know, Houston itself is a very sprawling city. It's very spread out. But Houston has been fortunate in some ways that much of its Jewish community has lived around probably a three-mile radius and been very much connected to institutions. And I think that one of the things that we're looking at and thinking about is how do we build Jewish identity, maintain connection to Judaism, build Jewish community through people and through connections and through the missions of the institutions without having it have to be connected through a building. What we're really trying to do is to connect people. And I think what you see here in Houston is very deep relationships. As I mentioned earlier, families sometimes who have lived here for, you know, four, five, and six generations. So you do have a solid foundation, strong-knit, close Jewish community. Because Houston is such a growing city, you have people like me who are moving in, and you kind of have this great melting pot of people from all over. In the way that the, in particular, the rabbis work together to foster connections, one of the great programs that exists here in Houston is something called Kahila High. Kahila High was an initiative that the Federation helped to fund that brought together three different synagogues for their high school students to be able to have a Jewish high school, uh, Hebrew school experience. Instead of having small classes after confirmation or after bar and bat mitzvahs, a lot of people dropping out. And what's unique is that you have reform and conservative synagogues coming together to have this Sunday experience, in this case, a Wednesday you know, evening experience, where they're excited to learn about Judaism and about Israel and to stay connected. And I got to go to their graduation and I saw how these teens felt about each other and their connection to Jewish community. And it's just remarkable that you could break down the barriers and the silos and the walls and say, okay, this is not reform, conservative, and orthodox. We're all going to come together to embrace our teens. And the other program that I got to experience this year was our Teen Israel Ambassador Program. I believe it was about eight years and Houston was the first city to create a teen program where we trained our high school students to be able to be advocates for Israel. A program similar to this now exists in Washington, which I was a part of in other cities. But Houston was one of the, I think, the first city to really create this program. And teens get to go to APAC and learn together over the course of, you know, their time in high school so that they're prepared when they go off to campus. And so there's just a lot of ways in which we're investing in the future and, you know, thinking about it. But we're also looking to the rest of the country. We're looking at other cities and what they've done and how can we learn as we think about the future of our community. That's wonderful. So thinking about the future, you know, obviously Harvey and the recovery and that part of your work is 
probably never going to go away, right? It's always going to be something part of your culture. And I can't ask you what you'd be doing if, you know, Harvey never happened, because obviously there's no way to know that. I mean, I'm kind of thinking about, you know, the future and as Harvey becomes maybe less of your particular focus, what are some kind of ideas that you have, things you're excited to get off the ground, initiatives at the Federation? What are some exciting things that you'd like to kind of get going in the community? Michelle, thanks for asking about what I see for the community for the future. We could spend a, a long time, time on this, I'm sure. <laughs> but we're in a marathon, not a sprint here. But I think Federation really wants to see the Houston Jewish community be one of the best places to live a Jewish life. It's a mm-hmm. affordable city. It's a great city that offers lots of culture and everything a big city has to offer. And at the same time, can feel like a small, close-knit community, which is sometimes hard to get in a larger city. I think that what we're looking to is to be a vibrant, inclusive, and meaningful Jewish community. I want to talk a little bit about the inclusivity. A demographic study was done here in Houston in 2016. We learned a lot of things. and. We need to make sure that our strategic efforts for the future mirror our community. We learned that there's a large LGBTQ population here as part of our Jewish community. So how can we partner um, with Keshet or with other organizations to outreach to them and to be inclusive? We know that given what has happened in this community with Harvey and with other flooding, oftentimes here... When it rains, people are literally paralyzed and scared about the flooding. There's stigmas around mental health. People here are going through post-traumatic stress because of Harvey. How do we make sure we are inclusive, providing the services that we need so people of all ages can feel connected and part of the Jewish community? We're also thinking about multi-generational family philanthropy. How do we, within a city that has so many generations living here, keep the close connections? How do we build philanthropists for the future? There is a very vibrant young adult program that has really fostered great leaders for the future. We have to continue to look to that. And we want to look at how we provide services and opportunities for people Outside the walls of established institutions, how do we get to all the geographic areas? A lot of the Jewish community here is moving to areas in West Houston, in Katy. Younger people are buying homes in the Heights and Montrose. And so how do we make sure that our leadership are representative of the community, that we are planning for the future and where the Jewish community will be and how people want to connect to their Jewish identity? Those are all really wonderful external responses. And I'm curious coming from such a wonderful community that obviously you were so connected with internally with your colleagues. Do you have any hopes or or things, and not to say that there was anything broken or wrong with the Houston Federation when you came in, but anything about, you know, the organization's culture or the staff or the structure, anything you're hoping to improve or focus more on internally within the organization? Internally within the organization, we are focused on building a team and working across departments. We've been working with our professional staff to everyone to understand that everyone is part of the marketing team. Mm. Everyone is part of the education team. Everyone is an ambassador for the 
organization. And so I think that for many years, organizations, they built teams, but they built teams in their department. And so we're really focused at cross-training, cross-departmental collaboration, and also investing in our professional staff, providing we've already had since I come to the Federation, I think four or five professional development seminars for our staff and bringing in other resources to be able to offer those professional development opportunities and also collaborating with our partner agencies. The heads of the agencies are talking about doing some professional development together for all of our teams and really fostering that increased collaboration. That's excellent. That's really, really exciting. So in that same vein, what is some advice you might have for our audience? As you know, they are Jewish professionals, sometimes lay leaders working in very different kinds of organizations. I wish I knew more about those that were listening, but my general just is that's who's there. And what would you kind of say to them as far as those that are working in the field? I have been blessed throughout my career and really throughout my life to have some incredible mentors. And different people that come in your life at different points in time that are just there for a reason to guide you. I would say, make sure to find people that you admire, that you can learn from, that can be your guides and mentors. You never know how they are going to impact your life. And I am where I am because of the mentorship that I've had along the way and people that are willing to invest in me. And the other thing I would say is, you know, it sounds cliche, but follow your dreams and don't be afraid to fail. We all get comfortable. I could have stayed at the Washington Federation and I loved what I was doing and I loved the people and there was still so much work to be done. But I took a really big risk and I moved across the country to a city that I really didn't know, to a place where I really didn't know a lot of people, to a job that I had never done before. And I'm now leading the Federation in the largest crisis to face a Jewish community and in one of the largest cities in North America. And there's definitely mistakes I've made along the way, but I think with the willingness and ability to take risk and follow your dreams and to believe, have, you know, surround yourself by mentors who believe in you, sometimes even more than you believe in yourself. The last thing I would say is advocate for what you want. You have to figure out for yourself What's going to keep you motivated and happy and excited in your job? And don't be afraid to ask and to advocate for what you need. Your supervisors and others are not going to know what it's going to take to keep you and to keep you motivated and to be successful because it's not just about, you know, your salary. There's so many other things. And for everybody, it's something different. And the fact that I was able to take a four-month sabbatical is because I went to our CEO at the time and was willing to partner with me. And I was like, here's what I want to do. And we came up with a plan together. Sometimes staying in a place for a long time, you get more out of it than, you know, if thinking that the grass is always greener on the other side. Those are some of the things that I've learned along the way. And I still have a lot more to learn and look forward to what mentors and others are going to teach me along the way. And I try to mentor so many other people in this field and in this career because of what I've been given by my mentors. It's always really nice to have good examples of like 
that's how I want to be, right? Because <laughs> yeah. I think sometimes we run into the opposite example of that is absolutely not how I want to be as a leader, as a person, as a professional. And so it's always really wonderful to have experiences where you're like, wow, that was really awesome that I had that opportunity or that that person reached out to me in that way or treated me in that way. I want to make yeah. sure that I embody that in my work as well, which is fantastic. Absolutely. And I think, you know, look, it's both ways. Sometimes you learn what you don't want to do. Sometimes you learn what you do want to do. But I think you have to learn from so many different people because in the end of the day, you have to stay true to yourself. Right. And so it's not just one role model that you're like, oh, that's who I want to be because you have to be true to yourself and you take different pieces from different people along the way. Wonderful. So what are some tools that you implement in your life? You've just moved to a new city. You've taken on a very big role with a very complicated caveat to that role. What are some ways that you've tried to stay balanced? Have you time, you know, find new friends if you have it all and stay connected, you know, to your family that seems, you know, far away and your the community I know you love back in Washington. How do you kind of keep that all balanced for yourself? Great question, Michelle. I just somehow have a day that has 36 hours in it instead of 24. Right. <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, it's about knowing what is important to you. For me, working out, like my spin classes are really important. So one of the first things, you know, back in the interview process, I was looking at like, okay, where was I going to work out and have my spin time and my gym time? And so that's been, you know, something that's really, really great. And then I love to cook. And so like, I love hosting Shabbat dinners, like Friday afternoon, if I like am at home cooking and hosting Shabbat dinner, I don't do it every week. But when I do do it, like I just check out and I have my time where I'm just like, that's my time. And that's for me, the working out time, my cooking time and very connected to my family. I have three sisters and the oldest of four girls and I love to travel. So are they spread out all over or are they yeah, all, we're in all over. two are in yeah. New York City and one in California? But we get on planes and we see each other. And since I love to travel, I am constantly visiting them. But I think in the end of the day, it's just about knowing what you need. I know what I need in my professional life and the three things that are like really important to me, which are, you know, always having kind of a thought partner and figuring out who my thought partner is and having that person being part of a kind of learning cohort, professional development opportunity and working with a new coach now and like learning a lot. And then I always like to have a passion project, something I'm building. But I also learned in the wake of disaster, like you can't have all those things. And right. so where do you get them? And the same is true in your life. And you know, how do you have that balance between them and knowing when you need to take the time for yourself? You got to work hard, but you also got to play hard. Do you have any current passion projects or what have some of your previous passion projects been? In Washington, I built a program called the Next Gen Philanthropy Program, which I then worked with the Jewish Federations in North America. They're now piloting it in six communities across the country. Awesome. So Houston is going to be one of them. So I'm working with some of my colleagues, invested in them to go to training. We're going to be building that program here in Houston. I revamped the travel and missions program when I was in Washington you know, looking at how we bring the Israel Your Way model here to Houston. But it's always been about seeing a need, figuring out how to, you know, in my case, build about connecting people and building Jewish identity. And so taking that need in some sort of niche area and creating that. And so now I think more of my passion projects are going to be kind of empowering my team and my staff here to be able to take some of those ideas and create them. Yeah, I'm no stranger to passion projects, clearly. <laughs> um, yes. but 
mean, it's part of what you're saying as far as knowing yourself and when you have an idea that might not be something that's formally part of your portfolio or formally part of your job description, having the confidence and the excitement to do it and get it done and see where it goes. One of the things is we were at the JFNA General Assembly last year and we had 18 different meetings with 18 communities. It was just a couple of months after Harvey and we wanted to share the story. Like we still had a lot of money to raise and We asked someone, you know, like after the first meeting, we had like, do you have any feedback for us? And the person said, you really should do like a fly-in in Houston, like have people come for 24 hours. And so we ran with it. And after the GA, we were like, okay, let's make this happen. In January, February, and March, we had people from all over the country, lay leaders and professionals come here to Houston for 24 hours for these fly-ins. And so they weren't in our plan, but we knew we needed to do it and we made it happen. And because of that, you know, since the GA, I think we've raised an additional four or five million more dollars for our, you know, fundraising efforts. And we still have to raise more. But, you know, so there's some of those things. Sometimes you just take an idea and you run and you make it happen. Great. So we've touched upon a lot of different things, both about you and your personal life and your personal journey and the Houston community and the obvious challenges and successes and the not so obvious ones. Is there anything that we haven't touched upon that you'd like to mention? Well, I just want to thank you, Michelle. I think it's great the work that you are doing and getting these, you know, messages out. I think we've touched upon a lot and just want to say thank you to you and to everybody who is listening. Wonderful. Well, I wish you the most success in the world in this new position. I know the first year can, especially your first year, can have its challenges, but it's like there's only exciting and new things coming down the pipe for you. So congratulations with this position and making it your first year and not running for the hills. And I'm sure there'll be wonderful things to come. So thank you so much for participating in this program. My pleasure. Thank you, Michelle. When we change jobs, there's never any guarantee of what you're walking into. Avital has clearly fully embraced Houston as her community and all its complications and vibrancy in this new role. She was intentional about her transition and deliberate about the way she wanted to come into leading such a large institution. When the hurricane hit Houston, Avital didn't turn and walk the other way. She embraced the chaos, dug her heels in, and got to work. That is a sign of a true leader the kind of leader that will bring our institutions into the next generation of vibrant Jewish life and identity. Now that Harvey is less of a crisis and more of a reality of life in Houston, Avital is able to do the job she was originally hired to do, re-envisioning the Jewish community in Houston and helping to shape what it will look like for the next 20 years through this central organization. This program has been funded in part by the Jim Joseph Foundation. Our editor is Nick Bowden of Bowden Sound, and our fiscal sponsor is Jewish Creativity International. You can find previous episodes, guest bios, podcast articles, how to start your own podcast, and more on our website. It's who you know the podcast.com. This is your host, Michelle W. Malkin. Thank you for listening, and have a wonderful week. 